Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we're coming at you with a brand new episode, talking about two new releases from two artists. We're going to be talking, it's a very pop episode this the week. The girlies. We're talking, the pop girlies are back. We're going to be talking about The Loneliest Time by Carly Rae Jepsen, her follow-up to Dedicated. We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about, of course, the newest album from other pop girly taylor swift we're talking about her latest record midnights this week on the channel we've had some stellar stuff go up including uh my record club from last week which is our episode on jeff buckley uh both on his ep- both on his album uh grace which riley and i go into great detail on and we also talk about what would have been his follow-up in the form of sketches for my sweetheart the drunk that's mm. a great little video highly yeah. recommend that you watch that and last Absolutely. week we covered the 1975 and wild pink so yes. if you haven't caught up with that catch up with that shit yes absolutely and we are heading even closer to the end of the year as well only really one month to go before list season really kicks in so you know if anyone out there is planning on releasing some heat now is the time to do it um because boy god knows we need it at the moment oh jesus do we ever Anyway, before we get into our reviews today, let's get, talk about what we have been listening to for the last seven days. Jake, what have you been listening to? Uh, it's basically last week two electric boogaloo over here at uh, the, the 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 Jake Anderson residence, and that I have just not like I I I feel like a fucking fourteen year old on Reddit who's obsessed with Japan because boy howdy. I have not been able to not stop listening to Japanese pop music, um, mostly hey, in the look, form of look, stuff. At least you're self-aware. That all yeah. automatically puts you over 14-year-olds on Reddit. You fucking weeb. You know, and yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm fine being labeled a weeb with this, uh, mainly because, you know, I'm also not obsessed with... Uh, uh, weird uh what, what was it that you brought up last week riley illegal hentai uh so i'm i'm perfectly Context is needed uh, <laughs> or is it but i have actually had a fantastic week for listening because i think most prominently i have like i started listening to i as i mentioned last week susumu hirasawa uh and i listened to one or two of his more acclaimed releases and i was like wow these are really good and then i sort of made it a point to listen to all of his sort of upper tier stuff and he has gone from you know musician with some albums who are some interesting curios a couple of which i really really love to I think this might be one of the most, the best and funnily enough, one of the most important electronic musicians in the world of music. Uh, Susumu Hirasawa has, his history with music has gone back even further than I originally thought, back to being a new wave musician. And as far back as the 70s, in 1979, he and his new wave band were cranking out shit that's very, uh, again, Yellow Magic Orchestra, very Devo derivative kind of stuff. So he's been making shit for a long ass time. He's almost 70 now. 
And uh, that sort of explains why when he went on to do his solo career in the late 80s, early 90s, and then sort of really hit his stride in the mid 90s, that's why his sound is so fully formed and so uh, unique and interesting uh, to try and like, I don't know, capture what listening to his music is like and what listening to him has been like just so other people might be able to gauge their interest. Uh, I've seen comparisons to Sparks, late era Devin Townsend, uh, early like Zolo stuff, especially with his earlier shit, very much akin to Cardiacs, um, especially with his 2000s shit. Uh, Skylarking era XTC, uh, Dan Deacon, which I have more to say on, uh, one of my other favorite Japanese musicians, Yuki Kajira, and everything, everything. So, and I have heard those influences in all of these. So I won't go too in-depth on any specific albums because, frankly, I have decided that his discography is so unique and cool and I love it so much that this has had to be something I have to make a video on in the future. Uh, so I am going to make it a point to listen to all 14 of his studio records, but I, I can say with great confidence that his music has been one of my favorite things that I have discovered this year, um, particularly his uh, late 90s, early 2000s stuff, albums like Siren, SimCity, White Tiger Field, Philosopher's Propeller, uh, Technique of Relief, Blue Limbo. <laughs> All of these albums are fucking incredible and they all deserve their moment in the spotlight, which hopefully I will give to them in due time. And the other thing that since I was listening to uh, his music is that I also wanted to see how much that Dan Deacon comparison held water because uh, Dan Deacon in 2020 put out an album that I was a huge, huge fan of. Um, that being Mystic Familiar. Uh, and it had just kind of been a while since I'd listened to it and I just needed a little bit more context, needed to refresh myself with it, just kind of uh, wanted to see how much I liked that upon revisit. And, oh, uh, uh, oh, it's good. Fuck. Um, that, that probably would have landed on my list uh, a, a great deal, many spots higher had I listened to it just a little bit more. Um, 2020 is an, a year that's so good, it's still not done with me. Um, that album is fucking amazing! Um, I think the cool thing that I discovered sort of with my time in between first listening to it and now is I get to discover what a, as Riley put, post-Animal Collective artist Dan Deacon is. Sort mm -hmm. of listening to this album... I was really, really reminded of later era stuff like uh, Strawberry Jam and most notably Meriwether Post Pavilion. That's sort of just like really bright, really shiny, really eccentric, but also like aggressive It's, it's like sound. Animal Collective, but like with like 80% more Steve Reich in it like it's just yeah. got that real sort of minimalist modern classical sensibility to it where he just yeah. kind of has a, a few very simple electronic elements and he'll kind of build them together he'll kind of like use them to create these sweeping compositions like mm -hmm. yeah he's really great at that he like I, I and I was like the the one standout in my memory for me was that my favorite track on the album which I 
I'm pretty sure it's changed, honestly, was that initially my favorite uh, song on the album was the opener, Become a Mountain, which I saw. Oh, God, it's it's such a good fucking song. Um, like the the eventual like swell that has in the middle is just like one of the most leave your body music experiences of that particular year. But like the the fucking suite in the middle of this album, the yeah. arp suite is just some god mode shit like mm -hmm. th this album is an album that moves very fast this is an album that makes you feel like you are going fast it sounds like i, I described it as uh the flaming lips like this is like yoshini era the flaming lips but on like three times speed um it's super duper fun it has this amazingly polished beautiful sort of indie tronica sound to it that is just like it's like honey just fucking beautiful shit and i ended up loving the album even more than i thought i did uh initially which was a, a pretty great deal uh to the point where i'd be willing to say this is like a masterpiece mm -hmm. of a record and i can't wait to go listen to other records of his like yeah. uh Bromst and uh gliss riffers i've yes. been told are Those uh, two. projects yeah. worth experiencing yeah uh it's just so good because that album i think came out in january of 2020 yeah yeah so it's like and it got a good amount of acclaim at the time and i remember you know all of us were sort of talking quite positively about it mm -hmm. and it just ended up getting a little bit forgotten by the passage of time as the year went on and then i remember like distinctly coming back to it later in the year and being like yeah it's better than i remember and it was interesting mm -hmm. to me because i've been a dan deacon fan since i was in high school and like I, cause I remember getting into him the around the time that Gliss Riffer came out and I just was so obsessed with records like that and Bromps and the, a very amusingly titled Spider-Man of the Rings, uh, <laughs> which are all really, really good to great records. And so it's just great to see that Dan has like had this sort of sweeping kind of masterpiece of this more minimalist style that he has in him. Cause those earlier records, which I love are much more maximalist. Whereas this mm. is, I think more tasteful in its arrangements and there's less kind of like high-end noise and stuff whereas he used to be very kind of big into the noisier aspects of what he did um so yeah mystic familiar is just like a really great kind of mature record i think from him so it's i'm just super stoked to see that that is still growing on you even after this much time and I love that it's like it can be described as a mature record, which I can like sort of feel in how like just beautifully and lushly arranged it all is. But it's also just like it's a mature album that's like a shitload of fun. Like this is just a, it's a complete sugar rush of a record. And for that, I, I highly recommend it if you haven't explored it yet. Uh, one thing that I listened to that really caught me off guard this week was I listened to at the very beginning of the week, I listened to an album by uh, pop band, The Cardigans. Uh, and if you are think trying to recall, just like, oh, Cardigans, where do I know that name? Well, they're kind of a one-hit wonder band. You have most assuredly heard their incredibly popular oh, song, Love Fool, on the radio um, uh, many, 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 many times. One of those classic examples of the very bright, shiny, happy pop song with just, just morbidly depressing lyrics. Um, and I've, I've sort of heard from many people over the years that this band has like, I think there is actually like Swedish, 
um, but that they have a uh, sort of European following that they actually do have a couple of records that are uh, worth listening to. Uh, and I also found out about them through, funnily enough, the fact that they have a bunch of covers of Black Sabbath songs. Very, very humorous, very like light dainty jaunty covers of songs like sabbath bloody sabbath which i think are just you know they're they're very good pop covers but i i liked them and i was just like i need to listen to one of their albums and the one that i kept seeing people talk about was a record that was a it was a bit more of a like a darker turn for them called long gone before daylight <laughs> and wow wow this is great, like fucking phenomenal stuff here. Like I really did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. And it ended up being like, and one of the most consistent pop albums I've heard in fucking eons. Uh, I mean, like the lyricism is fantastic. The hooks are absolutely terrific. And the lyricism itself is just kind of wonderful. The arrangements are gorgeous. This is an album that's its remaster has done it a ton of good. It sounds fucking great. Like, if nothing else, this is an album that must be heard just because the raw sound of it is fantastic. The opening song, Communication, this is like one of the best fucking pop songs of the 2000s. And it's gone undiscovered just because nobody talks about the deeper cuts of this band. Uh, and... The interesting sort of tonalities to this record are, you know, I, I'd probably most compare this to probably Fleetwood Mac. Um, Rumors is certainly uh, a little bit uh, in this, there, and here and there, but um, also a little bit of like earlier Fleetwood Mac, like pre-Stevie Nicks uh, Fleetwood Mac um, in the sort of like country pop edge that this has in places. But this has some fucking amazing songs on here like feathers and down is a song that just made me cry in the fucking club uh for what it's worth uh not the buffalo springfield song <laughs> thought briefly that i was just like is that gonna be it's gonna be a cover that would be weird but it's not it's its own song and it's terrific um and there's just there's just no misses on here just great pop song after great pop song it's a really tight record it's like 11 songs 49 minutes and uh, fuck it's just nina person just got real fucking sad and wrote some great songs about it uh and i've like i've looked into their career a little bit and this isn't the only like properly good album they have i want to listen to other stuff of theirs like uh life or emmerdale stuff like that so who knew fucking i've i've been working retail since i was a fucking teenager and i've had to hear love fool seven thousand times so i didn't really expect for you know the band that did that vaguely annoying pop song to end up being a to, like a properly great band um, yeah i'm curious to check out I'll, I'll probably check out one of their records soon because they seem interesting conceptually to me the idea of this band that kind of just sort of like makes these sorts of like twee ironic sort of like pastiche songs and kind of like does a whole bunch of different things. Um, oh, yeah. I, it's interesting to me to find out that they're kind of like that when you all you know about them prior to that is Loveful, which I'll go on record and say, I think is a terrible song. Um, 
but I I will check them out because they seem really really interesting and um I hadn't even thought about them as a band like in general ever. John Ham I don't think about you at all yeah uh, <laughs> uh I will say I know that I have been listening to a lot of a particular artist who has a new release that I know you two have been listening to a lot of and that being uh electronic artist burial uh other than susumu hirasawa and shinoringo uh burial has like dominated my week it's like those three artists in a constant rotation um mainly because uh i kicked it off with riley recommending i had no idea this was even coming out but burial had a new release uh an ep uh streetlands um and earlier on this year burial released an ep called anti-dawn and if you'll remember uh back in those earlier episodes i loved anti-dawn no one else did but i sure fucking did it's grown um, I know on it me got a in, lot like i've come and, around and on it grew, it quite grew a on bit. riley and i knew yeah. april gave it a bit of a ringing endorsement as well mm. um i've listened to that ep damn month people a lot since it came out that is honestly on the upper end of my favorite projects from burial so i was kind of eager to listen to Streetlands just to see like I wanted to know is just like is Burial going to keep going in this almost pseudo ambient direction he's been going in or is he going to go and you know listen or is he going to go and make some of his more traditional stuff and yeah this is definitely more on the ambient end of things this is if anything even more kind of minimal than anti-dawn was it's mm -hmm. even less busy it's more spacious it really reminds me of those first couple tracks on the tunes compilation um uh stuff like beach fires uh and uh you know just like the first and second track on there and this is really tough for me because i really really love Streetlands. I don't think it's quite as good as Antidon, and it's not because of the direction that it goes in. It's purely because I just think that Antidon presents a more complete journey. This is a little bit shorter than that. I would agree. Um, yeah. But this is like, again, this is like an exploration of a kind of liminal space. This is very dark, but it also, it gets a little bit busier. It's sort of following along in the trend of like having a really, really stripped back opening track and then getting a little bit busier with the following ones. Um, but even then, this is still something that feels very, very experiential and textural. And I love it, but I also am kind of like, I feel bad because this just doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to be compelling to a whole lot of people. And if anything, Riley and August have proven that that assertion is very correct. I mean, like, who cares? Like, if you enjoy it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, what sure, but like, well, sure, but like, I've gotten the Toons compilation. I've gotten Anti-Dawn. People have been waiting for a more traditional burial release <laughs> since fucking untrue. So I I understand the uh, frustration that many people might have with this direction. Uh, I love it, but I again I, I I get it if this isn't something that you get on board with. Well, I don't I don't find it frustrating. It's just you know not quite it hasn't quite landed for me in the same way that uh, anti dawn did and maybe it will like yeah. i've only i've only heard it once to be fair uh what i will say is the pre prevailing thought i had while listening to this is that i think burial would be really good at making video game music and i would love to see yeah burial be like 
have these sorts of interests and talents that he has of really creating soundscapes because this is more of a sound collage than even an ambient record and yeah, i'd be um, very yeah. interested in seeing him apply that to a format that i think better suits what he's interested in at the moment um, because yeah, i don't I... actually have a problem with any of the music on here but i do think that maybe the issue with some of Burial's more recent releases is that for, the format isn't necessarily the best thing for what he wants to do. Um, so I think that uh, because of these new releases, I think I enjoy them most when they're accompanying something else. Like if I listen to this while playing a video game, for instance, I listened to Anti Dawn a lot while playing video games earlier this year as well. They're great for like, creating an environment and an atmosphere and sometimes yes. that's all you really need uh sometimes you can, if you want to go for music just for that that's fine and i think antidawn delivers really well on that but there is definitely a sense that something is a little bit missing in streetlands that i don't usually get um from even burial's ambient stuff so but look only one listen it may grow on me um but i do think that burial burial's talents i think uh, and interests in pursuing this real sort of gentle, empty sort of sound collage space are fascinating, but they do need, I think they benefit from being complimented in some way. So oh, um, yeah. I'd be curious to see, you know, I would love to see Burial put these uh, interests and musical focuses of his into a context that better supports them, is I guess what I would say at this point in yeah. time. No, but, I, yeah, no, I think I'm absolutely on board with that in that I think these these two projects, and from my perspective, I'm not huge on either of them, but that's just context for my opinion. But I, I think these would have gone down significantly better if there was just like a, a burial YouTube channel where every month or so he posted like this 10 minute long single or soundscape basically, or just mm. like some kind of, you know, those like, lo-fi beats to study to live streams yeah like yeah. if he wanted to do something in that <laughs> format with just these long slow atmospheric songs where you can kind of tune in and tune out at your own leisure yeah. i think that would be a really that's that's a good point i want to i want a burial i want a burial uh boiler room set or like a dj mix or just like a solid like our performance or whatever of just like free form material with no clear boundaries or whatever. I think that could be really cool. And that's kind yeah. of the, the way that I enjoy Antidawn as well as I think that kind of works mm. as a single 40 minute piece that kind of ebbs and flows and ends in this very sort of, I think, satisfying place. Um, whereas I don't get that same kind of structural satisfaction from Streetlands. But anyway, that's just where I'm at. I really value the sort of journey that these albums take you on. And I will agree that Auntie Dawn's is a little bit more definite, but I like the formlessness of Streetlands in a lot of respects. And I almost do treat it as like, again, it's like, it's like the way that Riley described the Tangerine Dream album Zeit. It, it yeah. feels like it's creating an environment more than it's creating music. Mm. And I know that, that sounds weird and it's, clearly again this is a, a the reception to these projects has been like lukewarm at best so like i can't promise that you'll dig it but i personally get a whole lot out of it i also happen to listen to a sort of archival single that was released this year from burial that was a um split single that's uh there but with them and fortet that's uh nova and moth 
Uh, that, that's um that that is like that's old that that might yeah, have been reissued the, they're, they're yeah. each from different other singles yeah um but i listened to that because i had been listening to a bunch of burial stuff and that was super awesome mm. then august recommended me listening to their stuff with tom york and i really yeah. liked that as well and i finally finally went back and listened to the burial self-titled which i thought was good but i i I won't lie, this is probably the burial project I've enjoyed the least. It's just, I hate to say it, but it, it's just kind of like, feels kind of like drafts for Untrue. There, There's some really good, satisfying tracks on here, but it just sort of feels like Burial's still finding his sound on this record. And I, I just found the sort of middle ground that it walks to be a little bit inherently less compelling than his, his later stuff. I liked it. But I I was certainly not wrong for thinking that it's very much a a, a debut project from somebody. So yeah. I I I quite enjoy the debut, although part of that might be that it was one of the first things I heard from him, and it sort of does establish a lot of what the conventions and sound of UK garage and dubstep were going to be. It's kind of like one of those records where it's like ground zero for a genre. And in a lot of ways, because Untrue came out like immediately after it and just made it kind of superseded it and made it sort of feel a bit irrelevant. It gets a little bit overlooked in comparison, but I, I still think songs like Distant Lights and uh, Broken Home. Yeah. Pirates is one Pirates, that jumps out at me. Yeah, Forgive, You Hurt Me. I, I think there's some really good songs on there. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, it is one of those things where it's like Burial himself kind of just completely just sort of stomped all over it the one year later with untrue so yeah, it kind of right? gets a little bit buried yeah. <laughs> oh that was that was i was building to that and that was it that was the joke all right i'm done i Comedy. look i appreciated it so for what i have been listening to i will start out with something that all of you who are fans of the national someone whose name you should at least be familiar with that being roberta flack featuring donny hathaway big deep on the record appreciate it this is a disco soul record i think it's a compilation album is one way i've seen it point being this is just like a a collection of the works between writer and producer donny hathaway and roberta flack this is a record kind of compiling their collaborations from Donny Hathaway's life because he had passed away at the time of this project's release. And I had initially heard of this from Mason, actually, particularly the song Back Together Again, which is on the second side of this album. Uh, what's what's novel about this is, I, I should clarify, this is very cheesy. This is very kitschy sounding. It's got like these terrible prog rock synths on this like disco yeah. funk album. And the main reason I enjoy this is exactly for the kitsch it provides and the very specific time period it evokes, which is just so silly and and fun and whimsical, while also providing the occasional nugget of really complex and interesting songwriting and musical ideas like the back half on this is composed of two songs that are over the eight minute mark so it's a bit of a weird journey that i i can't really recommend as a 
great project, more so an interesting time capsule. I hope before you rendered your final judgment on this that you listened to the Roberta Flex. Hey! Yola Tango and the Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. And I have listened to it enough times, of course, to render a verdict upon it. It's very good. As with most Yola Tango, all Yola Tango projects from this this time when they were just on fire. Let's be real. Um, Yola Tango as a band for me, I think I, I've over the years come to clarify my relationship with their music in that I'm honestly, I consider myself a huge fan, but I tend not to be a like Yola Tango albums enjoyer, I guess you could say. Uh, I found, I've always found their albums just a touch scattershot. And even though that is very much the the point of their uh, just creative game of whack-a-mole with different styles and aesthetics, uh, sometimes that can appeal to me, sometimes that doesn't. And so ultimately I, I come down with uh, on about the same rating for all of the good Yola Tango albums, but that is not to say I do not enjoy them. Because there are so many individual men, like moments and songs that are just pure dynamite on here. Like, uh, I, I've talked about Let's Save Tony Orlando's House as being mm-hmm. one of my favorite Yola Tango songs. I I, I just love how... And I, I will say, this album of their records does have some of the most... Uh, cohe- is one of their most cohesive packages so if you are looking for something that will feel very uh like if you want something that's a bit more singular this is Mm -hmm. definitely a great great place to go although that's why it's my favorite i i would say my favorite of theirs from what i've heard is probably painful which has a very similar Mm -hmm. singular focus despite these records of course having quite a few differences i think uh they do share some good kinship um they're both yeah. great like nighttime sort of nighttime brooding albums like you're just great to walk around to or lie in the grass to like oh. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times i've had like you know consciousness altering experiences just listening to nightfalls on hoboken and just sort of like just completely you know dissolving mm. into the air basically god that's an uh, it's such a gorgeous and beautiful end to what's, this album oh yeah what's great is that there are two pedestrian bridges which are like very close to where i live so those are just fantastic places to walk to and just like sit down for like 17 minutes and just watch cars pass at night mm. it's a uh, like yola tango a this is something I cannot emphasize enough is that their music has meant so much to me, like on an individual song by song basis. And that can get lost in the shuffle of our style of review where we are critical of the album. And, uh, you know, since my personal experience with their albums is what it is, I always feel I got to go the extra mile to convey like, hey, it's a great band. Mm. no you have you you definitely have like my my favorite aspects of this record in particular is like 
the such has such a distinct organ tone it's like the most predominant musical element all the way across Mm -hmm. it like in songs are every day and let's say tony lando's house which you've mentioned as well like all across this record Uh, my favorite song on the album is probably our way to fall which i think Mm -hmm. is just one of the most gorgeous songs ever recorded basically a perfect love song as well kind of just how to describe this well it's sort of like a sequel to autumn summer autumn sweater almost but it's like a little bit more sort of meditative and brooding and just the organ is such a character in that song last days of disco too has this great sort of like slide guitar and bongo sort of thing and it just has this great sound design that i love the whole record is just so like there's little musical details that I, I really appreciate, especially how distinctive the organs are. And also I think this is probably one of the best showcases for James McNew's bass playing bass. on any of their records. The bass as on well. every day, the little boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. I mean, oh, every day and night falls on Hoboken are great bookends because of how like brooding and eerie they are, but also because of what a great presence James McNew has as a bassist on both of those songs. Like he just keeps you locked in that. Um, it's very simple bass loping bass motif on that closing track. It's just, it's like two, three notes max. And it's just like completely hypnotic the entire time. Um, amazing album um, and, and just the deep cuts get better as well the more time you spend with the record yeah, too yeah. Tears Are In Your Eyes Madeline which is a very underrated song I think Saturday like the whole record I think is is gorgeous I, I, I mean it's one of my favorite albums it's one of my tens so obviously I'm going to say that but yeah, yeah it's it's just like peak CD era as well like full to the max 80 minutes and you 80 cannot, minutes you do not want it to end <laughs> alright what else have you been listening to so Continuing on, let's move into some new releases. Uh, I'll talk about the new dry cleaning album, Stump Work. Uh, Stump Work is, of course, the second album from uh, one of these fucking UK post-punk, post-ironic, post-group chat bands. Uh, Post-group chat. That's amazing. (laughs) That's, that's uh, what we should call the genre, I think, because it needs a post posting. I, I will say what I've always thought about dry cleaning is that even if uh and, and Riley and I we were talking about this a bit before we started, but dry cleaning are a group where uh the the presence of front woman Florence Shaw is almost entirely unique within the mm. scene of music they are working in. Absolutely. It is just, yeah, it is just unfortunate that some of the actual music they end up putting to uh, tape is not the greatest. It can be a tad bland or just not exciting enough to be truly complimentary of how distinctive uh, Shaw is as a presence. And mm-hmm. this record's a bit of an, an improvement on their sound, mm-hmm. to be fair. Uh there's some like really uncharacteristically cute and sweet songs on here, like uh, Quenchy Cups, which is just a nice, silly little song about going into the park and seeing all the nature and the bugs and the animals. And it's it's a really uncharacteristic song for this kind of style where normally you got to be be writing about uh frank zappa battling his way out of hell and satan is uh margaret thatcher 
I uh, I listened to this once as well. I liked it. Uh, I feel pretty similar to you. I still think that that musically that they still have some work to do to really distinguish themselves although i think it is a little bit more distinct of a sound than their first record i yeah. uh, also i think gives florence shaw the vocalist kind of puts her a bit more front and center which i think is a smart move yes uh, oh I've, yeah that's absolutely right i was really a fan of that change yeah absolutely like she's just the driving force and and that's not like damning either that is a complimentary thing like she's really given and I think she's just such a compelling figure. And lyrically, she's just like she's more of a poet. She, like she reminds me a little bit of Patty Smith. Like she has these um, you know, digressive rambles, rambling style that feels so like free associative, but is really, really captivating at the same time. It's the kind of thing that if you don't know how to do it well, you're gonna be an absolute disaster. But if you do, you're like captivating. I thought that the opening track and of course from the Arctic was a really great kind of like hook into yeah. that world oh that's and, that's such a fun song too because of just how i love that disarming opening lyric of like do you want to be friends and it's like what yeah <laughs> it's she's just like fun she's way. that weird like it, it feels almost diminishing to to make a reference point of like man at pixie dream girl or whatever because she's not that but she's just that weird girl who like you're just like completely beguiled by and fascinated with and yet like you're also a little bit scared of her because she just has this air of unpredictability about her but that's also kind of like appealing and exciting and, and she's just like, like you're kind of afraid she might bite you yeah but also like if she did wouldn't, would that be the worst thing in the world probably not <laughs> am, am um, i gonna am i gonna complain hold no. up all right, guess we're finding out some things about August and Riley today. Well, you know, it's like, yeah, she might bite you or she might praying mantis-style tear your head off, and you kind of just take the risk because it's <laughs> that exciting to be around. And I, so, yeah, I thought that the first two songs were great. I really liked um, No Decent Shoes for Rain as well. There's actually some moments on this record where the songs go on for a little bit longer, and I actually kind of enjoy that because I just enjoy stewing in the presence. Um, but I do think, like, this band has some ways to go um vocally yeah like i said patty smith i'm also reminded of life without buildings and the sundays to a certain extent as well but look i i think the dry cleaning are one of the most intriguing and unique of these many post group chat bands and i will always be here for any of their future releases the final thing we'll talk about here is uh the new album from king gizzard and the lizard wizard so oh, yeah. first a fun story about how we got here uh, in preparation for this episode, I was like, I messaged Riley like, oh, what are what are some albums from this year I should listen to to, you know, engage in the opening segment, have some fun, hoo hoo, hee hee, ha ha's. And you, of course, suggested, oh, the two new King Gizzard albums. So then I opened Apple Music. I was like, I'll just listen to the most recent one of these. One that had came out at midnight yeah and it was 12 17 uh, <laughs> this so, fucking band man you can't make this shit up you you can't make this shit up because it's it's just moving at such a constant fast rate uh and changes is an album that brings a lot of changes to their sound namely they are more geared towards a uh psychedelic jazz pop sound on this which I think, if nothing else, uh, people who like Gizzard 
you're going to listen to this. I know you will. And you should uh, enjoy this direction because it's a fun, unique direction for them that uh, they haven't really touched on. And, and this was a record where I think a, a huge influence on King Gizzard jumped out to me. And that's Grateful Dead. Mm -hmm. I think Grateful oh, Dead's influence yeah. over King Gizzard has been no more apparent than on this record with their particular style of environmentally conscious and socially conscious uh long psychedelic jams mm -hmm. and with songs like and with a song on here like astroturf and change two songs which are each in above the five minute mark one of those even reaching the 13 minute mark uh this influence becomes pretty obvious and it's it's quite cool to see them really just go for it in that sense mm -hmm. that being said uh for a while now i have found uh gizzard's lyrics to be a little eh. i i can't say i i really dislike them but i do find their their style of writing to get quite repetitive and don't get me wrong i can enjoy the music on their records pretty consistently but there is a time where I have to ask, like, could you just have made these all instrumentals and gotten across a similar point? Sometimes that feels like yes, and sometimes on the song like Gondi or Gandhi, however you say this particular parasite's Gandhi. name. So this song is, Ooh, I think, one of their more in terms of just an idea and a concept, one of their more conceptually released song, uh, unique songs, because it is based off the parasite uh, Taxoplasma, Toxoplasma Gandhi. Toxoplasma yeah. Gandhi. Yeah. Not, and this is the parasite that, of course, many uh, feral cats carry with them that helps humans kind of like and domesticate them. Mm. Uh, so... It's kind of based on the, it's kind of a satire of large corporations or any other kind of informed consent type of uh, world affairs through the use of cats accommodating themselves to humans. And that's like a cute, funny idea. And I had a lot of fun with it. Mm. Uh, so I say, if nothing else, that song's worth your time. Some of the rest of it, if you're like me and have found Gizzard's lyrical tank to have been running dry for a while now, uh, I can't imagine this will do a ton for you, but I think it'll at least do some for you. Well, I'll say this. I, have, I haven't heard this new one, new, new, newer one yet, but I will say I enjoyed, and I said this on the podcast, and Jake, I know, enjoyed the first album they put out this month as much as I did as well. Fantastic record. Um, and... That and the laminated denim, the second one they put out. I mean, in both cases, I would say the weakest element of those records was the lyrics. But I don't feel that that ever really substantially detracted from the experience for me, just because the music is so much in my vein, to be honest. And it sounds like if they're really leaning into the jazz pop side of things, this might be more akin to like Mycelium, the first song on mm -hmm. ice death planets which i loved uh and and oh, so yeah. I, I i'd be absolutely keen to check this out I, i'm definitely oh, yeah. gonna listen to it uh definitely i think go for it weirdly enough king gizzard might be in a place now at least with this current iteration of their sound where i enjoy them more than i ever have 
Uh, and, and this can, can includes Omnium Gatherum as well, which I thought was a great, you know, which we reviewed very positively. And it was a really fantastic assortment of kind of mixed bag approaches to all these different psychedelic sounds that they're flirting with at the moment. And that had the jam quality, but they also had the more pop sensibility as well. And they even had some metallic aspects to that record as well. And they kind of juggled it really well there. So they're kind of in this sort of mature era now where they're just really good at honing their sound and musical ideas. And they're just so in sync with each other as performers that they're able to put out more consistent material. And so I think, yeah, it's been a, it's, it's yeah. been a fantastic year for them. Probably my favorite year for of theirs, which is like, <laughs> I think more meaningful than like saying favorite album is just to say your favorite King <laughs> is a year. Favorite, like year of just general creativity. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But anyway, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, last thing before we get into our two main reviews today, I thought it might be worth, you know, we debated, well, of course, we were always going to discuss Taylor Swift, but we debated who to discuss alongside Taylor Swift, whether we should talk about Carly or whether we should talk about the new Arctic Monkeys album. I think we decided that for the sake of a cohesive episode, it made sense to talk about Carly and Taylor together. But also I want to give a shout out to the new Arctic Monkeys record as well. Um, I don't love it. Uh, unfortunately i was really wanting to um but the reason i wanted to give it a shout out is because well it is a notable release and all three of us have listened to it and it is i think worth commenting on in a certain sense because it, it does something which is kind of i've been anticipating from arctic monkeys or i've kind of been looking to see what they would do in terms of confirming what kind of band they were now because obviously they changed up their sound pretty dramatically with 2017's controversial Tranquility-based Hotel and Casino, which is a record I still find a little bit frustrating, but I will say overall has probably grown on me more than anything else. I think I appreciate that record conceptually and also this just the sense of humor that that record has more than I did when it came out. But I was always interested to say, okay, was that going to be a one-off or were they going to permanently settle into this kind of more sort of funk-influenced, loungier sound? And this new album, The Car, seems to confirm that they are. Essentially, they've moved away from the sort of brash, you know, um, very 2000s Brit, Brit rock sort of influenced sound they kind of cut their teeth on. And they've matured into this kind of like almost yacht rock adjacent sort of space. And... I think it was smart to move away from that Brit rock sort of sound because that really was by the time that they hit around the, you know, suck it and see that sort of era, they were running on fumes there. And then they kind of found a little bit of a, like they found a little bit of commercial success with AM as well. And that was a record that I think kind of refined some of the strengths of Alex Turner's pop songwriting, but definitely signaled kind of the end of the road for that era, I think. And so I think Arctic Monkeys like have real potential to evolve into a very genuinely interesting band. But unfortunately, aside from a couple of songs here, uh, one of which I really love. Uh, I, that I think we, yeah, I think that we're being all in sync fantastic here. opening song, uh, There Better Be a Mirror Ball, which is just one of yeah. the most beautiful songs yeah. of the year, I think. For sure. Uh, that was that was a moment that really took me. And I think that's, frankly, I think that's one of the best songs they've ever put out. Um, I, I was really taken with that. And I will say as well that uh, in terms of other songs on the record as well, I didn't mind the track Body Paint. I thought that was all right. And I thought that there, the slight influence of funk that kind of slipped a little bit more into I Ain't Quite Where I Think I Am was interesting. 
but yeah for the most part this record really suffered musically from all of the same limitations of their last album in fact i'd say they're even more of a limitation here than they were on the last record i mean songs like sculptures if anything goes there's just very little if any actual music in this song it's like weirdly musically deadening and kind of just empty um, and so same is true of songs like um, Big Ideas and Jet Skis on the Moat as well. So much of it just starts to really run together. And it's a real shame because I think that Alex Turner as a vocal presence and as a songwriter is kind of a little bit more interesting than he's been in a long time. I think he doesn't quite hit the lyrical heights of the last album. And to be clear, I think the best strengths of Tranquility Bass were the lyrics and the concept. Uh, this feels a little bit more mixed. Um, there are some genuinely compelling moments, like I said, that opening track, body paint, some of the lyrics there really do stand out. But yeah, overall, I was just really disappointed with this, unfortunately. I really wanted this to be the moment where I fully get on board with this new shift. I don't even know what an Arctic monkey is. Um I listened to a little bit of Tranquility Base Hotel just because people talked about that album when it came out. And then I was just like, haha, funny meme. What do you mean you never seen Blade Runner? But also, what is this album? And I came to understand that that was a bit of a, a turning point for the band, that this was a very post the strokes kind of band. So I didn't really anticipate them doubling down on the Tranquility sound, which is weird just because that's the one I'm more familiar with. So when this album sounded like it did, I was just like, oh, I didn't expect this to sound somewhat familiar, but also it, it, this isn't what I really expected this to be. And I'm kind of glad that it's turned out this way because perplexingly, all of the talk about this album in our group chat was very positive. Like nobody talked about this album that much, but anytime it was mentioned, it was like, this song is fantastic. And I was just sitting there listening to this and I was preparing for me to sit here during this. And I was just like, I don't know necessarily why this is the case, but this shit is so boring. I, I think the issue you're running into Jake is that this song was exclusively ex exclusively referring to There'd better be a mirror yeah. ball. Uh, in in revision, that's exactly the case because I do agree. I do think that is the uh, a great song on here, and I do also like the title track a fair bit as well. But everything else here, and it, this is not even necessarily the fault of the music itself. I just was listening to this, and I was just constantly perplexed and just kind of continually asking myself, "I'm just like, why, why is this doing nothing for me?" Because like there, th this sounds a little similar to stuff like again the new Father John Misty album, the new Destroyer album, uh, stuff that I was into earlier this year, but it's also just less musically present than those albums. It it, it and it look when you call your album the car, and then you just have this fucking picture of a car on there. I just see that. And there's an alarm blaring in my head of just being like fucking, you know, postmodern nonsense, boo woo, boo woo. And then <laughs> I start listening to the album and lyrically speaking, it's not as bad as that kind of implies, but at the same time, there are a lot of songs on here where I'm just like, are we serious? 
Is this what we're doing? Can we, can we not? I, I have to say, like, I love, I, 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 the one lyric that I enjoy that's on a song I don't enjoy is um, uh, just because I like the way that, I like Alex Turner's way he constructs a sentence and I also like how obviously tongue-in-cheek this is when he's like uh, puncturing your bubble of re- relatability with your horrible new sound, <laughs> which I just think is and, such a funny observation. Uh, like, obviously- that. Obviously, um, you know, everything that the band do nowadays, and particularly I think the way that they're kind of shirking their, you know, sort of teenage audience or whatever that came on board with AM is mm-hmm. is is kind of funny. And like I do really appreciate the sense of humor that this band has that Alex has. And again, weirdly, I think that's so much more strong on their last record than it is here, which just because yeah, this album just feels so conceptually and creatively muddled, I think. It the the thing is is that it's what's happening is a lot of bands seemingly are doing this recently and i can't say i'm a fan of this trend it's where it's not that they're disappearing up their own ass it's that they're disappearing up their own sense of humor where they literally just become nothing but their sense of humor and i don't find this engaging i don't find like when there's no counterpoint to your humor you're inherently limiting yourself as an artist like i i because the thing is it's like if you wanted to do like a whole nothing but this thing that was your last album and i i I think that that element of your last album was actually pretty funny and pretty interesting and i liked what they did there it just this feels like they're doing that without any conceptual grounding and it leads to like alex is like singing and he's just like He's like a decent performer, but he's also just like, he's like just doing David Bowie. Like every single song here, he's just affecting Bowie in like the low heroes, Lodger era. And it's like, uh, cool, but like, what is this doing? Like all of these elements aren't like necessarily mixing together. And like all of these elements should be interesting, but then they all congeal together for songs like Jet Skis on the Moat, which just motherfucker named God. turner so they're so <laughs> what, what, they're what so does he boring. have some fucking fairy god parents go gonna gonna wish some something? average kid that no one could understand yeah, mom go, what, and dad <laughs> always giving him demands gonna wish for something gonna the get fairly it and odd have ironic theme song Fairly Odd Parents theme song is so much more musically vibrant than anything on here. And that is the God's honest truth. What I will say is the Fairly Odd Parents theme song is definitely like the name of an Arctic Monkey song that would appear on this album. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it would be, and he would just, he'd be talking about the fucking moon side boob in that song or some bullshit. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, that that is that is our verdict that, on that the is, car. That's that's the that's the verdict. Uh, the car should have uh, should have been the car taken to, to the compactor. The car needs some work done. The car doesn't pass the warrant. The car, the car is uh, is car, needs an oil change. Car has flat tires. The car, the car has um, it's run out of juice. <laughs> Can't wait to go see the new Todd Field film, Car. All right, let's get into our first main review of the day, which is, of course... The new album from Carly Rae Jepsen, The Loneliest Time. Now, Carly is has emerged 
over the last 10 years. I mean, after her breakout smash hit with, of course, 2012's Call Me Maybe, which turned 10 this year, and accompanied the album Kiss, which was really very much like Carly building on, I think she won Canadian Idol like way back in the late 2000s, sort of building on her status and trying to establish herself as a main pop voice. In a lot of ways, being somewhat ahead of the curve with some of her sonic interests. Certainly not, you know, doing anything that was completely new, but particularly with 2015's Emotion as well, really leaning into that 80s pastiche vibe. And she had so much success with that record because she so fully leaned into it and and did it so genuinely as well. Like, so seemed so effervescently thrilled with all the music that she was making and so kind of captivated by not in an arrogant or narcissistic way, but just so kind of like overjoyed and overzealous to be making music. Her passion for pop music has been infectious. And I would say is one of her most defining attributes. It's just, you listen to a Carly Rae Jepsen record because it instills a euphoric feeling in you, right? It makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel like every day is is like the, the peak of summer, right? It makes you feel like every day is amazing, yes. which is what makes the new record interesting because it is very deliberately Carly playing around with her image and what people come to her music with, because this is sad album it is carly and her feelings and to her credit she very deftly tries to negotiate how to do this how to lean into a space where she's really focusing in on these elements while still retaining some of what makes her carly musically what pop fans have come on board with with emotion and with uh, 2017 somewhat underrated in my opinion dedicated and so Carly's in a strange space here where she's trying to negotiate this very purposeful and I'm sure for her very necessary departure from her established, uh, not niche, but like I guess her stereotypical you know, artistic identity and also trying to continue to make Carly Rae Jepsen records. And it results in an album that is, I mean, it's a strange experience. I will say off the bat, this has grown on me a little bit uh, compared to the first time I listened to it when I felt quite cold on it. I have warmed to it a little bit more since then, but I me do think well. that this is probably at least since, because the first record of hers I've heard is Kiss. I haven't heard any of the early ones yeah. before that, but I do think this is probably the weakest record that she's made in that time. At least the one that has that comes together the least satisfyingly because kiss is a yes. mixed bag of an album but it, at the very least like it's it's kind of like uh it reminds me of charlie xx's sucker I, actually, which is also God, like you're fucking you're inside my head i was thinking yeah, the exact same it's thing. also a real mixed bag of a record but I, I find it very easy to enjoy from front to back um yeah because it's very immediate and look this I mean, it's a strange record, Jake. What are your thoughts on this as someone who's been a big fan of Carly as well? I mean, like, yeah, front and center, Emotion, one of my favorite pop albums of all time, uh, really. Uh, listened to it a couple of years ago. I It was one of the first albums I ever bought on vinyl. Um, Dedicated was a, a big kind of release, you know, her following up with that. And I, I do really, really like that's uh, that album, you know, songs like Julian are still on permanent rotation for me in terms of like my pop playlist. Um, so, you know, just sort of seeing 
the album art for this and her teasing it with songs like Western Wind, I was just like, okay, we're th- this is going to be a change of pace. And I'm cool with that because as far as I'm concerned, when you take Dedicated and Emotion and the, their respective B-sides EPs and smash it together, Carly's synth pop era has been covered. Like she's not ever, she or anyone else is never going to achieve the heights that she did with those two records, like at their best, as far as I'm concerned. So a change of pace was not only uh, necessary, but welcome uh, in my eyes. But like Riley, it's to very, very mixed results on here. And it, that that's the thing is that I don't really, I, I don't really dislike anything, put a pit in that. Um, uh is that the album itself has lots of great moments and lots of moments that i dig the vibe of but when it all comes together it's just kind of a mess and not a mess in like a whoa you're over here you're over there kind of way you're just kind of like i just don't know how these pieces fit because like i think that this album's vibe is well captured in songs like the opener surrender my heart Mm. i think that's a terrific song i think the song sideways if you're uh you know a fan of carly's older stuff you're probably going to dig songs like that she has tracks on here that are going to you know have that are going to warm to her older fans and um Let's see. Uh, And I do think uh, singles like Western Wind, I think they are decent, like two very good, very enjoyable, kind of more mid-tempo, but still uh, uh, thoughtful and good sounding songs. And then there are moments from her that are a little bit more unexpected that I still nonetheless do really dig, like uh, the very flippant but no less emotionally tangible go find yourself or whatever um bad thing twice i think is in a similar place for me bends i think is one of the best songs on here mm-hmm. um and there there just there are lots of moments here where i don't feel like the heights of her necessarily talent are being fulfilled but she is executing these ideas in a way that is not only satisfying but basically great It's just that it's interspersed with a lot of material that is a bit more mixed when it comes to results. Um, I think there are songs on here that, while not outright bad, just result in a a, a net neutral for me of just like, they just don't get my pulse going. Songs like Shooting Star, uh, the second song, Joshua Tree, Mm. or um, uh, The Loneliest Time, the the title track. I'm sorry, I'm not particularly into its sort of brand of... Uh, it, it's a bit more like tasteless and interesting, but it's still not really a song that I feel like uh, goes above and beyond and necessarily like capturing in terms of like raw melody and, and hooks. It's just not really a song that stays with me. Mm-hmm. And then there's the misguided and baffling single that was released in the form of Beach House, which I was hoping that maybe my opinion on this would like develop or that I would see the vision in the context of the greater album. And in the context of the greater album, this suffers even more because what the fuck is this doing on here? I'm probably gonna harvest your organs. That, like, okay, look, I, 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 I get it to some extent. Is that Carly has always had a sense of humor about herself. She's always been very self-effacing. She's always been very self-conscious. But on a song like this, 
I just don't understand what the deal is. Like, it's very much harkening back to her earlier era of music, but it's like, it's it's written with this sort of like, you know, she's coming at this album as a sort of wise and sort of elder pop statesman at this point. And this song just feels like nothing about this congeals together. And the sort of like the male vocals on here, the the probably gonna harvest your organs thing is just like, I don't the, the thing get is it. like I I, I kind of get where Carly is coming from with it, but it sounds flippant in a way that really feels like it contrasts negatively with what the rest of the album is doing. Yes. And I Absolutely. understand, like again, the need the, the I understand why Carly would feel a need to kind of counterpoint some of the real sort of dourness of of this record with something like this. But I also feel like, you know, to Carly's credit, on the best songs here, she does. You know, these aren't ever songs that feel like too overly maudlin or too like overly yeah. dour. Like I think Carly brings a real presence to them that makes them feel animated enough. I don't feel that you need the contrast of bizarre songs like this or uh, So Nice, which is one I don't care for at all either, or Shooting Star. I don't feel that those songs are necessary on a record like this, especially when you've got bonus tracks that are as good as the bonus tracks are on this as well. Another fucking Carly staple is that she's got three bonus tracks on here, and frankly, Anxious is like the best song on this entire album, if you ask me. I think it's great, and I think No Thinking Over the Weekend is also just fucking fantastic. I preferred those two songs to anything on the proper album. They're very good. Look, I will say, um, I'll second what you said about the opener. I think Surrender My Heart's a great song. It only gets better the more I listen to it, actually. I also think that Talking to Yourself is kind of class- great classic Carly, to be honest. It reminds me a lot of her last two records in a positive way, but just more within yeah. this space. Actually, it reminds me specifically of some of the emotion B-sides that I really like as well. Like yeah. Some of those emotion B-sides were places where Carly did lean into uh, some of some more sort of emotionally nuanced and maybe sadder places as well. Uh, so I, I think that that's appreciated in songs like that. Uh, Ben's You're Right, I think, is a, is a bit of a curveball for her, but more of an atmospheric song that has this sort of sense of emotional gravity to it that I really like. Western Wind is actually my favorite thing here. I, I think the song is gorgeous. I just find myself really captivated by it each time I listen to it. And surprise of all things, I wouldn't have expected this, but I actually really like the acoustic song here, Go Find Yourself or whatever. I think that yeah, yeah this is actually a, works surprisingly well for a Carly Rae Jepsen acoustic ballad, which is not a proposition yeah. that I would be particularly keen on, but I think that lyrically it's one of the most moving moments on the entire record and yes. one that feels, you know, a real sense of righteous indignation at the way that Carly's been slighted. I mean, you have all sorts of responses to the failure of a relationship or to, you know, loneliness that Carly approaches across this record. And I think that for the most part, they're all very incisive and well communicated and, and Carly's really great at turning that into good lyrical fodder for the most part. And I do, I do like the title track. I will say that I think that it's a, a pretty solid end for the, the record proper. And I think that I, Again, this was one that I did have to grow on me a little bit, but the Rufus Wainwright feature, I think, does end up adding to the song in a way that I like. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's a strange mixed bag of a record. I, you know, and my initial opinion was that it was quite middling, but again, the best moments have really, you know, the more I've I've sat with the record, the best moments have grown on me even more. So yeah, I'm not in love with it. 
I do think it's probably her weakest record since her debut. Although again, I haven't heard her debut, but um, it's the weakest record she's put out in the interim. But you know, I, I, I appreciate that Carly needed to make an album like this. And I appreciate the decision yeah. to make an album like this as well, because it shows a sense of awareness at how kind of her personality or her artistic personality was kind of putting her into a corner a little bit and was kind of pushing her into the space where she maybe ha- was starting to be a little bit limited by, you know, the idea of being the, you know, the peppy fun Canadian girl who exclusively makes these party jam, you know, songs about, you know, individualized personal freedom and happiness and all that sort of stuff. And this is just really finding a new wrinkle, you know, a new, more realistic take on how that can be a difficult process to get to. Uh, so I appreciate that conceptually. I just think that, yeah, the songs that are here and the way that they're sequenced as well, it's a bit of a, it's a real mixed bag. And I think, you know, it could be significantly strengthened by culling a good portion of um, the songs and and maybe repositioning some of those bonus tracks. But, oh, well, yeah, it's still I... worth checking out if you've liked anything Carly's put out. It certainly is. I I think that where this suffers the greatest in my eyes anyway, is that like in terms of Carly's persona and in terms of how that's translated into her albums, I think that like it's a bit it goes a bit unexamined just because she's, you know, known for making the synth pop jams and, you know, she does that very well. But like Emotion is an album that to me works really well because that leans into the fact that Carly is like leaning into the fact that she's kind of an emotional disaster on that album. And she's leaning into a sense of whiplash and bombast and making it as big and bright and beautiful as possible with that record. And with Dedicated, you see her go into a place of more stability. You see her kind of regain her footing relationship wise. And she has a a real, you know, thing to lean on in her life. And the music kind of translates as such. It becomes a little bit more focused. It becomes more groove heavy. It becomes a little bit more danceable. She feels more in control on that album. And then now the, the, the messiness that's back with her on this, it's a little bit more, you know, it's not as up-tempo because she's trying something different. But the messy qualities in this album don't really lend me any insight to Carly as a person like it did on emotion the lyrics and songwriting certainly do but in terms of like structure and how this album works as a holistic piece it just doesn't feel like the significant moment that maybe it should and i do feel like i agree with you completely about it being trimmed a little bit this is an album that i think would significantly would improve in my eyes if you took maybe three or four songs off of it so Mm. not exactly what i wanted from this record even though i expected a bit of a sea change from her but i am still i i still do think it's overall good and i'm glad that it's being received well just because normally when a pop star does a shift like this people are hemming and hawing and they're not really a fan of it but i'm you know glad it's here glad we have a new carly ridge epson album cool Um, all right then favorite tracks and ratings jake when you go first um well uh my favorite track on here is actually anxious but that's a bonus track but on the album proper my favorite tracks are ben's um surrender my heart and uh 
sideways yeah and my least favorite track on here is is certainly uh beach house and if it wasn't beach house if i'm not going for the easy answer i would say shooting star mm. uh but i'll give the album a, a a solid six out of ten all right my three favorite tracks are surrender my heart um western wind and talking to yourself i think my least favorite track is definitely beach house just a complete mess and a failure on all levels uh and i'm going to give the album also a light but firm six out of ten which gives us an average of 6.0 for carly ray jepson's the loneliest time all right now it is time to get to the main event the other big pop girly of the moment i mean not of the moment of ever i mean the pop girly of the 21st century so far really Taylor Swift, who has put out a new album, Midnight's heavily awaited ever since she announced it at the VMAs, I think, a couple of months ago. And I, I think there, this is like, as, as well, I was going to say one of the most sort of understated album rollouts that she's had, but that's not really, she's kind of established a pattern recently of, of somewhat understated album rollouts, kind of just announcement, maybe a single or two album. And that's absolutely true here as well. So we've rejoined to review this, of course, by Rhiannon, who's been with us before to review the uh, Taylor's version of Red when it came out last year as well. So Rhiannon, why don't you give us the context that we need here to appreciate what Midnight's is, like what it represents for Taylor and what we need to know about this album. All right. So Midnight's, as she has best explained, is kind of a conceptual album, mainly focusing on things that keep her up at night, things that she has learned to deal with. Uh, it focuses a lot on things she hates about herself and things that um, she struggled with over the years. It's just a very personal, internally woven kind of album. Mm. Yeah, I, I and that definitely comes across. One thing I'll say off the bat is that one thing that struck me is even in comparison to Folklore and Evermore, it was like, it's quite striking how kind of unconcerned Taylor is with like making pop music on this i mean yeah there's like it's there's pop music and it's certainly you know fits an aesthetic that's very popular at the moment but it's very like these songs are all for the most part very insular and they're not very there's very few hooks on this record and even the big single anti-hero feels like it's kind of purposefully underplayed a little bit and yeah definitely leaning into that sort of more introspective emotional space for taylor she's kind of ditched the storytelling of those last two records and it is it does feel like again this is very much a taylor swift record that is explicitly about taylor that definitely comes through very very clearly i think when you listen to the album jake what are your thoughts as the 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 more you know i guess we're both kind of recent-ish taylor converts but i feel you even more so than me uh what is what's your take on on this record again because it's it to me it feels like such a departure from what she was doing with those last two records in so many different ways so i'm curious what your take is it is a departure but i would say that it follows with the sort of theme that she's been going with since folklore of being a bit more understated not in terms of genre just feels like the energy levels have been a bit different 
Um, and that's something that I've really appreciated. I think that's something that's helped me come around on her as an artist overall. And I think that like, when this was first, you know, making rounds, um, our world of music that, that, you know, that Riley and I inhabit, of course, was the reception wise, this was fucking like, nobody cared. Uh, everybody was just like us, Taylor Swift album, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the, the, the general response tone seemed to be just one of general apathy i would describe it (laughs) because it's kind of like it's a taylor swift record again that and not and i guess all of them are to this to some extent but it really here this is like a taylor swift record about taylor swift like in a lot of ways it's like a taylor swift diary record essentially so if you're not already into who she is and her personality and her artistic personality, all those sorts of things, and you're not wanting to get this sort of introspective insular thing from her, then the barrier to entry is maybe higher than it has been in a while. Uh, to be honest with a record like this, it's very much like a for the fans sort of album. I think at least for people who are really interested in uh, Taylor's internal state. And that sort of translates, I feel like, and a lot of people, including people in like the more indie and alternative music scenes got into the last two albums because those were albums that were dressed up in kind of storytelling and mythology and and metaphor. They were Taylor leaning into things that she had done before, but almost exclusively into things that she had done before, whereas it was sort of a, a, a mix of many different uh, varieties on on records past whereas this was a little bit more internal and I was more or less expecting that just from the more dressed down kind of presentation of this the album cover the sort of the single choice like I the just the vibe that I was getting from this was just like oh we're going to see something that's a bit more stripped back a little bit more personal and as a whole I really appreciate this turn that it's taken. And I also appreciate the fact that Taylor has sort of cut down on some weaknesses from her earlier projects that we, for me were always a bit of a sticking point. Notably, the construction of the album as a format. This is a tight 13 tracks, 44 minutes long. This is, uh, you know, typically her albums tend to run north of an hour and that's even without bonus tracks and so they've always even if they've all been consistently good to something like red they've always still felt like you know just from a pure numbers game they might suffer at the the hands a little bit and here where you're having a little bit more of a stripped back approach you get to sort of appreciate the very concise journey that this record takes you on and it does have a darker more minimal sound here and i think the the biggest comparison i've kept seeing is that of lord and melodrama and you know jack antonoff yeah that's a decent comparison but the comparison that i haven't heard many people say at least that rings more truly to me is billy eilish i i think a lot of the sort of darker synth tones the minimal production on here evokes uh her two albums way more than it evokes uh lords i still think that it's a little bit more uh, you know, Lord is still overwhelmingly more geared towards pop music that just has a little bit more of a down tempo kind of spin. Whereas Billie Eilish, I feel like is kind of in her own kind of lane. And I feel like Taylor sort of enters it uh, on this. And I like the dark 
kind of hollow minimal sound that she plays with here because it allows me to sort of appreciate the more emotionally stripped back um presentation that she goes with here um i think that it really hits a stride uh early on with the song maroon i really like the single anti-hero i think that's one of my favorite singles that she's made thus far um snow on the beach i think is a beautiful song that perplexingly has a lot of del rey feature that is completely fucking inaudible i i like is she, is she there i don't know and it's audible um, enough for me i i well fucking snark ass um uh but after that i do think the the one two punch the highlight of the album for me is uh you're on your own kid and midnight rain which both feature sort of uh uh Taylor both at her best sort of like hook wise which I still think this album retains a whole lot of I've been humming different melodies and hooks to this album in my head all week long uh, even though this is a bit of a turn for her uh, but that sort of sensibility has remained uh, thus far but I do think the lyricism here this is where the album is at its most successful and where I am at my most interested in Taylor as a, a person and as a, a figure it sort of feels like you know the this sort of person who's weathered the storm who's speaking very openly and honestly about her experiences in songs that i think are as musically successful as they are thematically successful uh and question i think too is also a really good song as well it doesn't really hold up as strongly for me in the back half uh i am uh, contentious between me and Rian, and I'm not hugely into vigilante shit. I kind of think that I, just think it's... I it it is certainly fun, but it feels it feels like that would be a better choice for a bonus track. Uh, yeah, personally. I agree. There's a couple of bonus tracks that would easily replace that. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, look, I'll get into the bonus tracks as well. I very much think that the theme this week is why are these bonus tracks? <laughs> yeah, and I'll just say that. Yeah, but like the vibe that she's putting out, I feel like is better captured on some of those bonus tracks than they are uh, necessarily on stuff like, and even with songs that I like, like Bejeweled and Labyrinth, which I think are decent songs, but I also just sort of think, again, that the bonus track placement for them would be a little bit stronger and it would make this album uh, better realized. But I do think the album picks up with uh, Karma, Sweet Nothing and Mastermind at the very end. I feel like that's a more consistent run of songs that's uh, more in keeping with the sort of front half of this. But uh, I know apparently uh, my opinion is completely invalid because my uh, uh, liking of the songs on this album is, according to Riley, completely cracked uh, as of yesterday on that's, Twitter. You're, you're quoting me out of context there. I see it ranking <laughs> two of the songs on this record above like State of Grace in The Archer. songs on this album that's very good and but, I won't back down from because nobody likes this album and I, I'm tired of feeling look. bullied. Fuck okay, look, look, in this con in this context here, I'm the in this context here, I'm the minority, all right? So ease up. And I'm gonna I'm not every other sense, so I, I'm not gonna get into it because I think Rhiannon's our guest. I think it's only fair. I want to hear what Rhiannon thinks more in more detail about this album, about the songs on this record, about how this has kind of been hitting you, gelling with you uh over the week that you've had it and what your overall thoughts are. I kind of agree with what Jake said about it, like starting off really strong. And then there's a couple songs in the middle that I would definitely be absolutely okay with there being bonus tracks instead. I really am a big fan of the bonus tracks and I'm dying to actually be able to own those 
it upset me a little bit that I those were not included on the vinyl, but it's fine. Um, I have not stopped listening to this, which is not shocking to anybody. Um, I'm determined to get it on my Spotify wrapped, most of all. I really like how personal it is and how a lot of the songs seem to be speaking directly to the fans, especially in Antihero, in the way that she's kind of like reaching out to fans in a way that's like, I don't really understand how I can see myself this way, but you all are always supporting me. And she kind of continues to elaborate that on most of these tracks in a different way, in a different outlook of things that are just a lot to her. I really didn't expect this sound at all. I don't know what I was expecting. I like I followed every single midnight that she was like, I'm going to release another sound title by pulling a ping pong ball out. <laughs> which Classic Taylor. I loved it. But it is actually, to me, I don't feel like it is that far off from Folklore and Evermore in terms of lyrics. Because I feel like it's doing such a similar thing. The stories are just more focused on her like i still feel like there's a lot of storytelling there it, talking in first person rather than third exactly. person, i think is the comparison that i kept leaping to yeah so to me i feel this album is very much on par with folklore and evermore folklore is not only my favorite taylor record but my favorite probably album ever so yeah there's been a lot of uh, mixed opinions on this, like, not even just from people outside of the Taylor scope, but, like, inside as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are really upset with it um, because they feel that it's very separated from folklore. Um, and there's some people that think that it's another version of Reputation, which I don't quite get. Reputation is an album too draped in, like, pop persona and too obsessed with, like, the idea of being a pop record to me, whereas this feels completely unconcerned with that. So the comparisons there just don't feel warranted. And to the people who think it's too much of a departure from folklore, might I steer you to the other album Evermore and the Long Pond session? Like the people who love folklore, you ate well. Like, like it's fun. I'm upset about this. Like I said, folklore is my favorite, and I am in love with this album. Like it kicked. What did I say? I think I kicked 1989 out of my top five. Wow! Like right immediately. That's 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 insane. That's a very that's high praise. Um. Yeah. Look. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, no. Look. 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 There's no there's no easy way to do this, and and I don't mean that in just the sense that I've been dreading this all week. I, you have to believe I've been really dreading this because no one wanted to like this more than me i swear to you that's there's no one on this planet not even a taylor swift fan who was left cold by this oh sure mr like i hate jack antonoff last week sure well look and i'm not going to spend as much time talking about jack this week because one i think that his crimes are more egregious on that record than they are here although i don't i do wish he hadn't produced this for a lot of reasons and, uh, but also because you know i've said it all and I'm not going to repeat myself. I want to talk about, this is Taylor's record. I want to talk about her as an artist. I think that's the fairest way to do it as well. I think that I understand where people are coming from comparing it to reputation. It's sonically very different, obviously. But I think that in terms of being a record that kind of interrogates 
the line between Taylor's artistic personality and her real human personality. I think that both records are very interested in that and they do that in ways that, you know, are varying levels of successful, but they are a shared concern. And certainly it's something that Taylor has kind of drifted away from since then. Like even Lover is, is more aligned with, you know, folklore and evermore than that sort of more, uh, I guess, introspective side of who she is. And look, I will say that Reputation and Lover both are records that have grown on me with time. I still think that especially Lover is way too long. Uh, but I, I, I've come around on the sound of that record and I've come around on just generally what that is, as well as I think kind of getting over a little bit of the, you know, just this general distaste I had for that kind of pop music back when it came out. I've kind of just grown up a bit, I think. And I appreciate that record a little bit more now. I think Folklore as well makes Lover a better record in retrospect almost, which is a weird thing to say, but it does. Agreed. Um, which is why I'm in a weird position because I, I I think this is probably my least favorite Taylor Swift album. Um, and I, I, I have thought about I'm... Sorry. Uh, like I've thought about this all week and I've revisited a lot of her music and I don't even think that's like necessarily, you know, it's because I think that all of her other records, you know, bar reputation, which I think is just a frustratingly muddled album that has some really great songs on it. Um, but, you know, too few of them. I think all her other records are at the very least good. And I think that, you know, Fearless uh, is great. Red is great. 1989 is great. Speak Now is very good, bordering on great. Um, she has a lot of really good records that I've really, really come round on. And I'm, you know, maybe that will happen with Midnight's, but believe, you guys have to believe me. I've tried so hard with this this week. All right, this is like, Okay, let me try and, like, to me, the most interesting thing about this record is things that I've already identified as being interesting about reputation, aspects of uh, Taylor's insular self-interrogation. I think that the most successful song in that regard is Antihero, which I think is probably, is it my favorite song here? I think probably it is. It's either that or I will agree with Jake that You're On Your Own Kid is a standout. Um, I do really like that song. And I think that that uh, the opening track is is fairly good as well. But yeah, Antihero, I think, is the song of this album. Oh, well, actually, my favorite song is a bonus track, but I'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think Antihero is the song of the, the album. It has some of the most memorable lyrics and lyrical refrains. Weird hot take since I'm delivering them today is I actually like the sexy baby lyric. I think that in context, it kind of makes sense. And it's actually quite funny. Look, like the thing about that is that I, I had this discussion with Rhiannon is that a lot of people are talking about this. I really like when Taylor is cringy. I, I mean that sincerely because well, I find it like when when artists of her stature are sort of unwilling to sort of show the cracks in the facade and they're just this constant projecting of a, of a singular beam of confidence. I find that wholly unrelatable. And as a cringe ass <laughs> motherfucker myself. <laughs> I, whenever she does shit like this, I find it charming. It's never, it never gets in its hey. own way. It always just happens, and I appreciate it. So hey, there, look, you, you're talking to the Chad emo enjoyer here. Like I am, I have a high tolerance for cringy lyricism myself. I, I, I have just seen my entire Twitter timeline has been so negative about this fucking album all week. So I have been prepared to be the only person other than Rhiannon that has been advocating for it because oh, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's a week. I was like. 
I don't know if I want to do this episode anymore. I, it's it, it's just been a constant stream of negativity. And then mm-hmm. I listened to it. Just no, like, well, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm glad that you two are both doing this together is because, you know, I think that even though I don't like the record, when you do have an overwhelming chorus of negativity, there should always be the positive voices that should be amplified because that's just, you know, for the sake of diversity of perspective. Uh, and look, so I'm trying to be as diplomatic in my opinions here as possible. I do think that, you know, I don't find it to be Taylor's most compelling or artfully written record lyrically, although I do appreciate that it is a record where every lyric kind of feels like it's just the first draft. And that's not inherently a bad thing. Uh, it feels like a record that's very, like, just whatever Taylor, Taylor's just kind of written down her thoughts, essentially, or she's written down ideas as they've come to her, and she's never really gone back and revised them. She's kind of just sung them as they've come out. And that, I think, does lend itself to moments that feel memorable and distinct for how filterless they are. And there are occasionally lines that are very just clunky in a way that I kind of can appreciate, like, on the same level as what you're talking about, Jake. And then there's also lines like, oh God, it's one of the bonus tracks. I think it's Paris where it has this line um, that's like, the it's it, the, to me, this is so emblematic of Taylor's worst lyrical impulses. And, and I mean, to be fair, the song isn't on the record proper, so I don't hold it against it. But that line where she's like, um, fuck, what is it? Uh, sit quiet by my side in the shade and not the kind that's thrown. I mean, the kind under where a tree is grown. That's like that's an Eminem. Eminem would write that. That's Eminem style. And look, I again, I I can appreciate and respect on some level the sheer like, you know, just lack of any care at all towards what people might think and and writing lyrics like that. Kind of argue that a lot of that like clunkiness feel is probably tied in with the fact that this is very much supposed to be a middle of the night intrusive thoughts kind of album. I. Yeah. She probably needed to feel somewhat disconnected in pieces because that's kind of how you feel when you're in this mm. kind of state. I think yeah, the sound complements that a lot too, honestly. It really feels like isolating to me and it, it creates a really nice vibe for me. I just I just mm. really like listening to it. Yeah, and then there's like a song where like Karma, where I'm like, I'm of I'm of two minds with this. Uh I don't I find it like kind of constantly eye-rolling, but also like this weird style it has in terms of how the lyrics are constructed is also kind of like the point of the song and is also kind of weirdly its strength in a way that I can't really reconcile. Uh, It's certainly one of the most memorable songs on the record. And it certainly, I think, is one of the songs where like the personality that, that, that Taylor is going for kind of comes through a little bit. Although it also feels, weirdly enough, like one of the least relatable songs on the record to me and that's i guess just a me thing although i do like i do like karma is my boyfriend is like i can't decide whether that is one of my favorite lyrics she's written (laughs) the clunkiest on the whole thing uh and as a result of that look i admire it even if i don't enjoy it um i will say just to kind of focus on positives as well i think a song that is from what I can gather, weirdly underrated that I appreciate is the song Question, uh, which I think yes. I like the personal really like storytelling in that song. I like uh, the emotional immediacy of it. I like the the second person 
uh, nature of the way the lyrics are addressed. And I think that song comes together uh, reasonably well. Uh, You're on your own kid, which has already been talked about is obviously one of the most sort of emotionally immediate songs on the record as well. It kind of does that thing that Taylor often goes back to where it's sort of like childhood memories, or it's like kind of a reflection on a, on a state of childhood, but looking back on it kind of wistfully almost and being able to, you know, see the lesson that you couldn't see as a child. And I also appreciate kind of the, there's a little bit of cynicism in this song as well. That is refreshing to come from Taylor as well. And just the, you know, there's a verse in here as well, where she talks about, you know, um, you know, giving her blood, sweat and tears and starving her body to be saved by a perfect kiss. That is the most emotionally compelling moment on the record. Absolutely. It's quite, it's, it's, and the song builds to a, like a really kind of cathartic climax. Um, but this is also where I get to my biggest limit with the record, which is a sonic thing. And that I feel like moments like this are hampered. And again, I don't want to rag on Jack Antonoff too much because it's tired and, and people have spent way too much time doing it this week. It's getting very predictable. But it, it's just true to me that he re- his style really, and it's not even, again, I, I think Taylor made this record sound the way she wanted it to sound. So it's on her as much as him from, from, me, from my perspective, is it's so muted and so much of the effect of these moments is like so much less than it could be. I think. And that is something that really, that's something that affects Maroon as well, which is another song I think is one of the more lyrically interesting and compelling on the record as well, but just never feels like he can get to a a, a place of real satisfaction for me musically. Just kind of, it's so muffled and indistinct. And that's the thing as well. So much of this record feels as though it's very difficult for me to distinguish interesting musical ideas between songs as well. Midnight Rain, unfortunately, does not do anything for me. Uh, I find the, like, I like the idea of the vocal manipulation on this. It's again, it's super straight out of the melodrama playbook. I know the Lord comparison is overdone, but I'm sorry. There's just so much aesthetically that's on this record that is very much taken from that album. And it's not a bad thing inherently. It's just an observation, but it just sounds weirdly, poorly produced and kind of doesn't land with much impact uh also i'll say yeah i mean vigilante shit is just it's all the i don't it's not my thing i'll just leave it at that um though i will say there are moments where though for the most part the musical understatement feels like it kind of holds back some of these songs for me there are moments where it works i think a deep cut that i really like is the song sweet nothing uh the second to last song on the album proper i think the gentle plinking melody here is works for how restrained the song is it's quite a beautiful little song as well and she's got a lot of love songs around this era as well understandably presumably about her relationship with joe alwyn i mean there's reference to uh wicklow which i think is a place in ireland and i think he's irish i've done some research uh <laughs> look I, I actually think that the lyric about um and this is another lyric that's kind of been a little bit mocked that i kind of like the lyric about how on the way home i wrote a poem you say what a mind this happens all the time that's kind of like i think taylor understands and plays that for humor and it's kind of like a funny line 
Uh, I, I feel like that. people aren't giving her enough credit if they assume that that's not a little bit self-aware. Like, no, absolutely. On. Absolutely. Like, and it's actually weirdly enough, the song this consistently reminded me of in terms of like the, ref- and it's not a Taylor Swift song. It's just, a, this is going to be a very Riley comparison I'm about to make, but like the song I thought of while listening to this, because it's subject matter wise, it's exactly the same. And musically, it's very similar in terms of being very stripped down and plinky. And that's the Charlie XCX song, Official off of charlie uh, which is very similar to this and i think I, this I, song works in the same way as that one does um and so that's i thought about the father john misty lyric the the poem zone lyric from uh, <laughs> uh last I night a i wrote a poem that was in the must poem, have been zone. In poem zone that is a great lyric uh look yeah and so that's kind of where i'm at um in terms of just to continue on the positive notes i will say there's a couple of uh bonus tracks i do really like uh, the Great War, I think, when you listen to the 3AM version and that song comes in, it's like so much more musically uh, awakening than just about anything in the last 20 minutes. So that deserves um, some praise. Uh, Bigger Than the Whole Sky, I like too. High Infidelity, I think, is cool. Uh, by far, my favorite song across <laughs> these <laughs> sessions is Would Have, Could Have, Should Have, which I think is the yeah. most fully okay. realized song here. Hey. <laughs> And I, I I just love that track. I think it's fantastic. It's great. It's good, Taylor. You know, we do think it would be better if it had a bit more punch in the production. But again, I'm not going to keep ragging on that if, point. It's old. If, if Red buried Jake Gyllenhaal, John Mayer is in the center of the earth. Yeah, look, you know what? It's just like, Joe Alwyn is the loneliest man in the world right now, is all I'll say. <laughs> um, anyway. Maybe the only man. The look, only one. Left. So look, I've been frank. Oh, I mean, the only other thing I'll say is that uh, I found Snow on the Beach to be entirely underwhelming uh, as someone who wanted to like that collaboration as well. That song legitimately made me fall asleep on one occasion, <laughs> but I was tired already, to be fair. Oh, that's a lot of Ray effect. Hey, oh, look. Um, but look, I've been I've been very frank about how I feel. This is not for me. Uh, when I say I think it's Taylor's weakest album, I don't say that to mock Taylor. It's because I have a generally pretty good standard for her music. And I do think that um, a lot of what she tries to do and a lot of the ways she tries to make this record distinct and more personal are things that I think are, are smart decisions, but I that I think lack the execution and the uh, musical accompaniment to really make them land fully for me. Uh, and that's just a me thing, admittedly. Um, I don't want to take away from anyone's enjoyment of this because, it, you know, it is getting ragged on. And, you know, it's, though I will say, you know, uh, it's hardly punching down, but fair enough. Um, Taylor is the biggest artist in the world. So as much as her music is going to get all the scrutiny in the world, it deserves all of the genuine, you know, uh, analysis that comes from a place of, you know, looking to be as fair as possible. And that's what I've tried to be. So, yeah. No, I think, I just think that a lot of people come with, it came at this with like the second that she abandoned the deserts, she just like immediately became a target for hostility again. Like it just became open season all of a sudden now that she wasn't. And that's also pretending as though Jack Antonoff didn't produce like a third to a half of the songs. I mean, but people will, people never mention that his contributions are even on those albums. It's like when I hear them talked about, I, I never hear him mention that he produces songs like Gold Rush or stuff. It's just like. And I will yeah. say to my credit, 
in those reviews consistently my biggest critique of the production was related to the songs that he produced so i let let, let it not be said that i lack consistency in my opinions uh, anyway, no, of course. anyway look no. i'm look, i'm genuinely you've spoken your piece i i think that you've i think you've done a good job and i i look i can only hope that with time it grows on me um but even if not i'm sure there'll be another taylor swift record in eight months so it doesn't matter <laughs> No, I, I think you were you're more than fair, and I feel like I, like again the my uh, a- aggressive sort of pushing to 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 like this is more out of response to the general consensus more than any like one or two opinions that I've seen. And again, the muted approach here is not going to work for everyone. If anything, I just. I, I understand how it would dampen some moments for people, but for me, it retains a kind of sonic consistency and a dedication to that consistency that I find really admirable, especially from an artist like Taylor, who has so been in her lane for so long with pop music. It really just, it feels genuinely refreshing to see someone experiment with their sound so much without just completely deviating from what they've been before. It's It, it feels like a, a really successful iteration of her sound to me anyway, uh, and I very much appreciate that uh, just from a casual listening standpoint, so. Hey, power to you, power to you both. Like, come on, there's nothing worse than, there's genuinely nothing worse than just not liking an album in general. Yeah. Like that's just, an, it's never a good feeling to to not like something. So hey, I'm glad that you're how, getting- How bad do you think it made me feel that this is by far the album I liked the most when talking about albums this week with the other ones? I was just kind of like, it's fine, I guess. Yeah, look, yeah, look, um, yeah. <laughs> Here's just for the sake of it. Here's my Taylor Swift album ranking, which I just did this morning. This at the bottom, then Reputation, then Self-Titled, then Lover, then Folklore, then Evermore, then Speak Now, then 1989, then Fearless, then Red. That's where I'm at at the moment. And I'll the next time we review a Taylor record, we'll see if that changes. Um, I, yeah, I just um. I don't I don't even want her to make another folklore record. I just want her to oh, make a record. That, <laughs> yeah. I want her to make a record that just like is just a bit more extroverted, I think, at this point, because we've had three records from her in a row that are very introverted. Three and a half, I guess. So I, I would like to I would like to see I think it, it's more than time for Taylor Swift to start getting back into her just like fucking shit up era because um in a weird Don't way worry. i missed that yeah, taylor's version is coming as yeah as, yes. as weird as uh, this is to say about these two artists is that i'm gonna say for taylor exactly what i said about the mars volta and that <laughs> i want her to do whatever the fuck she wants yeah. that's what i want her to do yeah so look i'm really looking forward to um taylor's version of 1989 because we're obviously going to do a video on that as well because how could we not uh because that is a record that i have i've really come around hard on over the years anyway shall we do our favorite tracks and ratings then um for midnights all right uh i'll go first just to get it out of the way for you guys um my three favorites are gonna be anti-hero you're on your own kids and sweet nothing from the main record i guess um but then again, I'll also throw on would have, could have, should have, which <laughs> this is just for, for Jake, I suppose. But every single time 
I uh, I see that song title, I immediately get skillets. Could have when you should have. <laughs> should have when you could have. Oh, no. Whatever it is stuck in my head. Uh, no. so that's just a thing that's happened as a result of this podcast. Um, so yeah, those are my favorite tracks. Least favorite is uh, either Vigilante Shit or Snow on the Beach. They're both about the same for me. Uh, and I am going to give the album a 4.5. I know you've toiled over your three you favorites. Ahead, oh, okay. All right. Uh, my three favorites are uh, You're On Your Own Kid is my favorite. Um, the consistently most underrated song, song that I will just accept that I am the only one who loves as much as I do, which is Midnight Rain. <laughs> Uh, and then third place, I'll definitely say Antihero feels like the definitive song from this particular era. Uh, least favorite song is Vigilante Shit, and I give the album a seven. All right, Rhiannon. Wow. Okay, so look, I don't do this. I have been spending all week just she has shit down every time <laughs> hey, I listen to it. With I believe it. Hours. Like, I just, I have so many emotions on this because, like, I just love how it goes from I'm going to, like, like touching down on, you know, her relationship with Joe, the rumors that are always circling her about every aspect of her life and how tiring it is. Mm-hmm. I love that it, there's direct jabs at Scooter Braun. I love that there are, I love that she talks movie. about her cats. I love that there's just so much on here. There's highs and lows that make me so happy. And I just, I've struggled so much to be like three songs, three songs. Um, but I am going to say, um, you're on your own kid anti-hero and I've been battling between mastermind and sweet nothing for a couple of days now I'm gonna go sweet nothing I I don't really have any least favorites I did at the start of last week when I listened to it but they're gone now I don't really it happens yeah like I've just I've, it's all grown on me um but I, I don't want to be that person and give it a 10 just because I love it. Because there are some things I wish were different. Um, so I will take myself down to a 9. All right. I, I appreciate the restraint on the 9 out of 10. <laughs> uh, and also just on the note of Taylor singing about her cats, I now want a, like an ASAP Rocks Kirby style song from oh, her exclusively about Aesop, her cats. Taylor featuring Aesop Rock, can that be her next rap feature? Like n- not Kendrick on the Bad Blood remix, but uh, Aesop Rock on a song about her cat. Yeah. And he has a song about Kirby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that gives us an average overall of 6.1 for Taylor Swift's Midnight, factoring in Morgan's four out of ten. Uh, sorry. Anyway, let us know at home what you think of either of the records we've discussed today: Carly Rae Jepsen's "The Loneliest Time" and, of course, Taylor's "Midnight's." Where does "Midnight's" fit in your Taylor ranking? What do you think of the album? Where do you come down within the divide on the podcast today? Let us know your takes in the comments below as well. If you enjoyed our discussion, please consider giving it a like and subscribing, of course, if you haven't already. We do music discussions like this every single week, and we will be back with a record club on Wednesday, of course, and back to review new music same time next week. As always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, FedEx, when it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight.